Hello, you're listening to Stark Contrast, a movie fail Game of Thrones podcast. I'm Josh Rosenfield. I'm here with Soren Howe. And today we are going to be discussing episode 7 of season 5, The Gift. Uh, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about episode titles this season. We really have. Um, and it's it's funny, the thing that last week I said this was, the the title, The Gift, was going to be the primary reference to, not, not referenced once. Not at all. And I was not totally even, like, right. Not even implied, which is bizarre because it's, you know, you know they've talked about this before in the show, it, it, this have, season. Yeah. It seems like a, a good guess, but, you know, they didn't No, I th- to totally thought you were things. right. I just, I was like, I was sure it was Tyrion. And because I was, really, what the reason I had assumed it was going to be Tyrion was that uh, it was more wishful thinking. I was like, please, can they just get to somewhere near Marine or in Marine? I don't even know where they are, really, at, you know, at that point in the story, but. I just wanted them to get there because they've been Tyrion's been traveling for so long at this point that I just I wanted to see it happen, um, and that that was it. They literally say, "I am the gift," you know. <laughs> there's another the there's another thing that we'll uh, another thing we'll talk about later. Uh, Littlefinger says he has a gift for Olena, but that's not uh, that's right. like a tease. That's not really explained, and I guess we'll yeah, but we'll get to that. But we start this episode at the wall. Uh, John sets out for hard home with with Tormund and some other. Uh, some other people, I think. And almost no, get... almost no John. I don't, does he even have a line of dialogue? No, I'm pretty sure we just see him writing out. I don't think there's any lines. There's He he sees Alistair. Does he say something to him? No, I, I know Alistair all... says you're... This is a terrible... Yeah, I don't think... Oh, no, I don't no, remember does, him saying he does. anything. He does. He says you have control of Castle Blackhand. Okay, so the one line, yeah. So he does have one thing. But yeah, he's barely in this episode. But we get a lot of uh, we do get a lot of stuff at the wall. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's all with the Sam, who's a character who for a long time has kind of fallen by the wayside, and we. It's get funny. A return. It's, it's funny you say that. I feel like he's actually he hasn't been a primary character, but I don't feel like he was ever he was never introduced as a primary character or anything. He's he's played a side character pretty consistently. I feel like throughout the. But he's he was always like the second, you know primary character if you if the wall was taken as its own story it's john and it's sam and sam hasn't gotten a lot to do you know he'll get something like he'll he'll kill the white walker uh, or he'll run into bran but other than that it's it's pretty quiet uh on the sam front in recent episodes and even seasons but he gets a lot now now that john is gone and the first thing that yeah i mean well a lot of it has been sort of tied up with gilly and that whole thing um, which hasn't really gripped my, you know, grabbed my attention very much in the past couple of seasons. I've never found that particularly. I don't, well, do you do you enjoy the Sam Gilly stuff? Like, have you enjoyed it in the past? Is it at all? I don't fun? not enjoy it. I think it's you know it's cute. It's fine. It's it doesn't like it doesn't bug me when it when it comes on. I guess it doesn't bug uh, me. It just feels like filler. Like it's not. I, like I don't care. I don't know why it's a plot point. You know, and they, they feel like every episode they have to remind us that they're together. I mean, this this episode less so. Less this episode's like more of a thing actually happening with them. But still, okay. So you know, they have sex. Okay. So why why are we still focusing on this? <laughs> I don't really care. Um, but that's just a personal thing. Um, well, the yeah, the big thing that happens at the wall, other than them having sex, is obviously uh, Mister Amon. Right, yeah. Away. So that felt kind of sudden. Like, 
Well, they Sam mentioned he was not feeling well and he couldn't come outside a couple episodes ago. Right. But other than that, yeah, it's kind of. Although he did mention like he's on his way out the last time we saw him. He hadn't evolved into dementia, but he did mention that he, you know, he was not long for this world. Right, right. Yeah, he said something like that. I guess. I don't know. I just all of a sudden he was sick and dying and about to die and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so anyway, awful because I love Peter Vaughn. I think I think this character was awesome and I enjoyed all of his scenes. Every single one of his scenes, he was he, he was awesome. Peter Vaughn was awesome. The character was awesome. Uh, I liked his like advice giving and his sort of it always seemed like he had more going on upstairs than he let on and I don't know I thought he was really cool yeah uh one of the things that I had kind of resigned myself to with Eamon's death is that they weren't gonna get his last line in there where he says egg I dreamed I was old because I adore that line in the book but I was like pretty confident that they were you know they wouldn't have it or they would at least change it because because he's barely talked about his brother well, yeah, exactly, and, like, who's Egg? <laughs> you know, right. it's, you wouldn't immediately, I was like, doesn't if they're going to include that, they'll change it to Aegon, or, you know, they'll, they'll make it a little clearer. Or, like, explain it briefly? Well, no, that's the thing, yeah, in this episode, right beforehand, they explain it very, you know, quickly, but effectively. Yeah, it's organic, too. Exactly, they do it really well, and they get him he, to say he's explaining that, to Gilly, which would make sense, because Gilly would be like, well, why, you know, why are you... <laughs> Yeah, who's, egg. Egg. who's Egg? Who's yeah. Egg? And even Aegon, why would she know that? I mean, she's a, you know, a wildling, so she probably doesn't pay much attention to what's going on below the wall. I don't think most of them do. Um, but that's it's such a heartbreaking, really beautiful line, and he delivers it so, so well. And it, so it, this is everything that I, you know, you better want. than I could have imagined the, that they, they could do this scene. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, speaking of gifts... I don't know, it's funny about gifts is you feel like there's so many ways that it could be interpreted, you know, throughout the episode. Um, but even just here, the fact that Sam stays with him, um, even though he's apparently, you know, the, Gilly warns him that he's probably going to have to do the eulogy the next day, and so he's going to need sleep, and he still stays with him. And so, you know, there's a lot of, like, metaphorical gifts, metaphorical gifts that are sort of offered throughout the uh Throughout the uh, episode, that's true. Yeah, that's thinking of it that way. I think there are a lot, probably one at least in every in every storyline we could talk about. That's interesting. It is. Um, it's just it's just kind of cool. Um, but I figured that when we saw the name, I was like, I mean, everything could be a gift, you know, depending on how you, you know, term it. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought this was a this was a, a a good moment. Did you like the stuff? Okay, so then we also have the scene where um, to. Dudes approach Gilly, and then Sam, you know, attempts to fight them. Did you like this scene? I don't know if this is in the books. Uh, um, I don't remember if there's anything that's specifically like this in the books, but it's just like in the show, it's always a threat with Gilly being there mm. at the wall. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't like super, super thrilled about another scene uh, where. There's, you know, she's not sexually assaulted, but she is threatened threat, with it. But really, yeah, sure. but really, that scene's about Sam, uh, and that, and how Sam is such, you know, a brave hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also didn't like the the ending where Ghost appears out of nowhere <laughs> and and scares them off. It it seems like it was really anticlimactic and well, like why it's anticlimactic is weird, random, and I don't know why it was happening. And also, why didn't Snow go with? Well, yeah, I was going to say, why isn't he with John? <laughs> why oh, sorry, did he ghost. stay behind? Not Snow Ghost. Yeah. 
Um, but exactly, yeah, it's 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 just a str- it's a strangely uh, contrived scene. I don't know. I don't think they needed this scene in order to get uh, the the uh, the sex scene later on in the episode. But here's here's my first of all. I have, like sex fatigue in this show. Like I just I don't <laughs> want to see. And I'm what I'm really glad about is that we haven't gotten nearly as many. You remember, like in the first, really, I think the second season was really bad with this. We just have like entire conversations and scenes that would be happening as people were having sex. Yes, the first two seasons are really bad about that. It's just so stupid and so boring, and you're like, you know, this doesn't make it interesting or exciting. You know, it's exciting like if you're nine, you know. But (laughs) well, that's an HBO thing. You have HBO to blame for that because HBO has a whole, and this has been, you know, this is a fun fact about The Sopranos. Uh, if you haven't seen The Sopranos, one of the main locations is this strip club that uh, oh, bada bing. that they exactly yeah that they own and they have a lot of scenes and meetings in the back room. And the reason that they made that a plot point is because there was like a nudity mandate from HBO, <laughs> so they had to have a reasonable excuse to have uh, naked but at women least that on makes the show sense. all the time. Exactly yeah, they had to have it make sense. So they just said, well, what if you know there's a reasonable explanation for they're at a strip club all the time. <laughs> And Game of Thrones, well, a lot of times it's happening in Littlefinger's brothel. Uh, but it, in the, it, even in the brothel, it would make sense. But like I don't know, sometimes they would. Like there's, I remember there was one scene. I think it was with Theon and some someone on a boat. Uh, yes, that was the beginning of season two. And it's just That's the right. dumbest scene where they just have this long, like very like ordinary conversation that was clearly probably written with the idea of them sitting around having this conversation, and instead. They had to be having sex when they have it, so it's just so awkward and like disjointed. And then, well, there's yeah, there's one of the worst versions of that at, later in this very episode, I think. Yeah, not a sex little, scene, but yes, it's not but, really a sex scene though, and that's that's a little. But bit it's different. it's but it's very but it's exactly the same thing. It's very pointless, uh, gratuitous female nudity for the sake of female nudity. Interesting. Well, we'll talk about it when we get there, but. Um, Oh, are you you're t- are you probably talking about something different? I had something different in my head. I think I know what you're talking about now. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. So I so there's that, and then there's also just I don't because I don't particularly care. I care about Sam. Nothing about Gilly has particularly appealed to me as a character. I don't know what her purpose is, why she's there, what like because like she you know you say that whole scene was really about Sam. Yeah, but everything related to Gilly has been about Sam. She hasn't done anything. Exactly. Well, exactly. you're right. That's since always she was introduced. She was yeah. introduced as his love, love interest and has been that since the beginning. And now the climax of that is, oh, now they have sex. I don't care what Sam does in his sex life. Like, I don't have a problem with it. I just don't. It's irrelevant. This is, you know, as long as we're talking about this, uh, I don't think this is an example of what you're talking about because it is like for this show, shockingly tasteful. Both is of them are. F- there's no nudity in this scene. It's a, you know, and they, they No, cut, it is, and then there's humor. They cut away from it very quickly. Yeah, there's humor. It's it's really, it's very different from I was a lot thankful of the other that scenes. It ended, yes, and I was thankful that it ended as soon as it did, because I just, it's, it's again, I wasn't, like, put off by it. I just was like, oh, for God's sake, another sex scene. You know, it's just, it's like that, that's, it's almost, um, uh, I, I don't know how to refer to it, but it's almost like you just need to show me, like, in Game of Thrones, if anyone's about to have sex, I just like I, I, I just shut my brain out from them. It's like, oh, this is gonna go on for another ten minutes. In this case, it didn't, so it was fine. You know, it, whatever. It just, I just don't care. I mean, that's really the problem. Um, but anyway, so that happened. So that happened, and yeah. I was sort of frustrated that it was the climax of this whole thing at the wall. I was like, what? 
why did we just spend all this time doing the stupid scene where Sam's defending her, but not really, and then uh, a ghost comes out of nowhere, like, and then the climax is them, like, why is this happening? What's the point of this development? Is something going to happen to her? I, that might also be possible. Well, I, you know, I, I guess that they've, there's been kind of a will they, won't they with Sam and Gilly, and this is, you could say, the culmination of their relationship up to this but, point. But there hasn't been anything where, like, she's, she's sort of brushed him off a bunch of times um, in conversation, but there's never been, like, we can't be intimate, and I don't know what to do, and I have... Well, no, but like, you don't need that, that to have them have a vaguely, you know, flirtatious relationship and have romantic chemistry, and I think that they have had that in, in their previous scenes, and this is kind of the obvious direction to go. It's This is the, the thing that should have happened sooner, maybe, but it's, yeah, it's, it's finally happening. To me, happening. it's... It, it's uh, I think we, we've talked about this in the past, and I don't remember what you called it. Oh, I think you called it, like, shoe something? Oh, shoe leather. Shoe well, shoe leather, yeah, shoe leather refers to, like, a scene... You don't need a scene of someone Going getting out of a car and walking into a building. You can right. just cut to the building. Right, right, exactly. But even more than that, I would say, like, I don't I don't know if this counts as shoe leather uh, or shoe polish or whatever the, the thing was, but the... Yeah, it's uh, leather because it was it the... Ex, it's the excess celluloid would be melted oh, down right, right, and made for into... for shoe polish, right, yeah. on leather, yeah. Well, um... But it's like it's like I don't need to see characters going to the bathroom, and I didn't need to see the climax of this relationship. I just don't care. So that's that's really all I felt about it. But again, it was not it wasn't a problem. Uh, and I I agree with you that while. But here's the thing, though. So not to bring up last week in any great detail again, but um, you know, I think as confirmed by this episode, and we're about to talk about that as we move into uh, to Winterfell. Um. I don't think that scene last season, last uh, the end at the end of last episode was about Theon slash Reek. I think it was about Sansa. And in this case, we have an entire thing that's all about Sam. And yeah, it's consensual, but ultimately, it's to prop up a male character. And so, like, I feel like these are. I don't want to say this is worse. It's not worse per se, but it's just like to me, this is much more blatantly frustrating to watch. Well, frustrating from that perspective, but I. Yeah. I don't think, I think, well, we talked about the last scene, you know, a lot last episode, length, but yeah. I, I, I have, I had really no frustration with this scene at all. I, I don't have any strong feelings about this relationship, but, I, you know, I think it's it's fine. Before we move on, though, I, I did want to quickly mention uh, Alistair at um, Eamon's funeral has a really interesting line reading, mm. and I think it's really a credit to, I don't know if it's just the actor in his performance or if this was a director thing. Um, but when he says to Sam, you're losing all your friends, Tarly, that's an awful line. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really terrible, terrible, this is just stupid line for him to say. It's it's real, It's obvious, and, uh, you know, why would he ever say that? But the way that he re- he says it is not malicious or threatening. It's kind of like, um, you know, you sh- he's kind of like saying, you should watch your back. I'm not saying I'm going to do anything to you, but, y- you know, you're in a dangerous situation right now. And it's almost, it, it's like a very well, quasi-mentorly delivery of this otherwise very kind of one-dimensionally uh, malicious line. I, I didn't feel like it was malicious. I just felt like he was saying, you know, you don't have it. Your allies are all gone, right? You don't have Amen anymore, and you don't have, you know, exactly. John, John just left. And so, the, and then, but I, it, to me, it's not that interesting because the next thing we have the payoff of that, which is that two people attack Gilly. I mean, that's that was it. Well, no, I, I'm saying that the line, as written, is seems intended to be, like, 
a threatening line. Like, he's saying to Sam, you're losing all your friends, Tarly. And the actor delivers it in a very... The way through the I, delivery, I, it becomes something different. I think on the page, it reads very differently. Well, it's interesting because that you say that because when he said that, I, I was like, oh, you know, maybe he's you know going to get back at him for supporting John for as long as he did and working against him or whatever. Um, but again, immediately we get a shot of the two people I think who end up attacking Gilly or they. And we've talked about yeah, we've talked about Alistair previously this season how he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to do right, something. Well, this like is that. why I was surprised by the line, so I wasn't sure if it was malicious or not. Which is why I think the it's credit to again a credit to the actor for maybe knowing the character. Yeah, and, and especially since Owen Teal often delivers lines very growly and angrily, and he's not he hasn't done that nearly as much this season, which is kind of cool. Um, but again, I, I I mean it's interesting, but I do, I do think it pay, whatever payoff was going to happen already happened, unless it's foreshadowing something terrible happening in Gilly, which I think is also completely likely, uh, considering the people we know to be at the wall, the fact that John's gone, the fact that Eamon's gone. The fact that Alistair probably won't do anything about it. And yeah, So, we'll see what happens. I do think that this is all set up, because every time there's a romance of some sort, there's always, you know, here always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It also seems pretty clear that, um, that uh, Sam might be going to Old Town, to the Citadel now. Because just an episode or two ago, he talked about how, you know, that's where they train maesters, and that's where they have all the information about White Walkers in the big library. Now the only maester at the wall is dead. So it seems like that previous scene and now Oh, is well, she does, doesn't someone say you're... Oh, no, no. So, so what happened was uh, Gilly said, you're going to have to speak for him tomorrow. And I thought he meant... I thought she meant he was going to have to take over for Master, for, for Master Eamon. And then I realized he meant uh, she meant uh, a eulogy. But I, my brain was on him in some way. You know, it's, it, it seems like a very, you know, the clear next direction just based on everything we it, know about Sam. It could be. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be able to leave. I don't still don't see any mechanisms in place for him to be able to just be like, all right, I'm going to go now. And yeah, then, he would have to, presumably, he would have to be, you know, sent off uh, to do this. But they do, yeah. they do need a maester now, and Sam seems like the obvious candidate. The, I do wonder if they would be willing to send him, or maybe he would be like, well, it's a way of getting Gilly away from the wall or something, or... Or as they had a great more, point. Or it'll be more tragic and get something will have, terrible happen to Gilly. She'll die or something like that, and he'll leave, and you know that'll be his like cue to. <laughs> All right, I'm out. Uh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> oh, that'd be, oh, which is also, sad. Just thinking about that. Well, it's also Game of Thrones, so yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so Winterfell. This is the follow up to last week. Yeah. All I right. really want to know your thoughts. Um. By the yeah, way, okay, wait, wait, hold on. Before we go into the north. Overall, the episode, as a follow-up to last week, I know you 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 tweeted about it, but I just want to get your oh no yeah it's words recorded. Like I said, you know, last week's episode made me kind of want to stop watching the show, and this episode, by and large, was really really good. I liked most of this episode. The, the stuff I didn't like previously, I didn't like any more really, but I think there was a lot of really interesting. Uh, development in this even even storylines that i haven't liked at all this season i'm like finally into and we'll we'll get into that later mm. but i i thought this was a really really strong episode one of the strongest of the season so far. i do t- i think it i think it's a testament to um uh first of all we have a a new who do you know who who wrote this this was written by the creators um yeah, they write most of the uh, they write most of the episodes, and then um, well, some of them aren't. Brian, Brian Cogman, who's more like a co-producer, writes one every season, and sometimes George R. R. Martin does, but he didn't this season. Cogman wrote last last week's episode. Yeah. Um, 
and Dave Hill wrote episode four. And if you don't know the story about Dave Hill, he is, was a writer's assistant who suggested just offhand to the uh, showrunners the whole Ollie uh, arc. Where he's like, oh, you know, because they had just had this kid. And he's like, well, the kid should join the Night's Watch. And then wouldn't it be crazy if he's the one who, who shoots Egret because uh, she's the one who killed his parents. And so they hired him as an actual, like, writer. Oh, wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, this is why you want to get into the writer's room. All <laughs> you aspiring writers out there, that's the way to do it, apparently. It's to suggest some crazy thing for the plot. So either you get fired or you'll get hired. So, um, you know, there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, but I think that this episode works with a lot of the material from the previous episode and things that we've been working with all season, because every episode has to do that. But this one does a lot of those, and then does them in the way you might hope they would work a lot of it. And I think that we get that in the scene at Winterfell. So anyway, I wanted to preface with that, but I do want to want to hear what you what you thought about it. Uh, yeah. Well, the first thing that hap- we see in Winterfell kind of uh, validated everything I said last week. I think. Because we, I don't think that uh, there's any reason you could have just uh, picked up after the wedding with this scene between Sansa and Reek and not have, you know, the exact same impact on the story. It means the exact same thing. Uh, and it's in, it's weird that they included wait, the so, detail. Wait, hold on. Are you saying to just pick up after the wedding so, like, all everything that happened to Sansa happened, but we just don't see it? Well, exactly, yeah, you could even have them, like, walking into the bedroom. But it still happened to the character, so what's the difference? That I don't because you don't have to, because you don't have to, you know, because it's it's just a little classier, a little less gratuitous. You don't have to, you know, actually I still think it was, I mean, it. of all the things in the show, I, I still think this was, even other scenes that are, I mean, consider the, again, consider the scene with Jamie and Cersei, or consider the scene with, even with um, Daenerys and, and Khal Drogo, and those scenes went on, and they were, you know, right up in it. You know, I think I, the scene was not. It's hard to. Well, it's hard to call any scene that that covers you know, your sexual assault. You know, tasteful, right? But uh, I think that this. I thought. I thought the last. I. I didn't. I didn't feel that way about that. Um. So how? But how did this confirm? So. So what you're saying is it wasn't necessary. Exactly, and I think it would have been actually. It would have had a much greater impact to not show what happens, and then to pick up with Sansa locked in How? the bedroom with bruises all over her. Because then, you know, it, it, this is a, you know, the classic writer's thing. It's like, what you can, what the audience can imagine happened is always, you know, going to be worse for them than what actually happened. So whatever you imagine Ramsay did to her is far, going to be far, far but worse again, we, than... But again, but, but we're still imagining, I mean, I, there's a... That's still left because a it's a serial thing that's happened now. Apparently, it's this is many times. Exactly, but my my point is, you didn't need to actually. It would have been better to not ever actually see it happen because you know that's what's going to happen anyway. And then when again, you pick I, up I with don't her, think, but I also don't think we saw everything that you know. Not to get into gratuitous detail, I just, but I don't think that last episode we saw all the things that happened. Well, well no, but we clearly didn't. But that's what I'm, what I'm saying. We don't. We didn't have to see any of it. I think it's. I I understand. Why does the scene have any? Does do you think there is anything added, anything extra by having? I do think uh, I, that I, moment. I do. I do. I think it makes it more visceral, and also I think that the the previous scene again, because we see the very beginning of it, and then it cuts away, and you hear a little bit, and then it goes to credits. Uh, is 
again, is is unfortunate. You know, I mean, you don't want to imagine stuff like that, but uh, does if you want that to be the impactful, whatever imaginative thing. But I, again, my my impression was that, so that's that's my opinion on that. But my impression was that the actual event of it ha- or the actual thing of it happening was what people were upset with, not how it was shot per se. I mean, I guess it was a two part thing in, on your end. Because well, I, it, but th- I think that there is a correlation between you know it happening in the story, and I have a, like we talked about, I have a problem with that, and the fact that we. I, I just think if you're going to do this, you there is a smarter way to do it. There is a more tasteful, a you know, a more classy as far as you can go with that way to do it, uh, and ultimately a more effective way to do it that doesn't have this very. Uh, gratuitous shocks you know shocking scene it's so edgy it's so it's so the show is so dark man read the think pieces yeah i understand that but also you know it did have an impact on like everyone who watched the show well for the most part so i think that that's not the case because if we had just had this episode we would have been like oh i guess that happened and people would have just kind of brushed it off because bad things happen in game of thrones all the time i completely disagree because you're left to imagine all the things no one's gonna talk about that scene at the beginning of this episode no one's gonna it's just not going to happen. Exactly, but I'm saying I that mean, that is... Are, but... <laughs> it, yeah, okay, but to write a scene just to get, you know, a bunch of blogs uh, talking about how controversial There's it is, a... that's not good no, storytelling. No, 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 I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that the... the I feel like there's sort of a basal level, you know, background noise of just crappy things that happen in this universe, and to show... Again, I also don't... Uh, so We'll just put all of that aside, because we had that conversation last week. Uh, I also would counter that this supports everything you said last week, because I think that the first thing that happens is that we see that Sansa's development as a character hasn't changed, and that the first thing that happens is, again, we see uh, we see Sansa taking charge, we see that this is not about Theon because nothing happens with him, and uh, yeah, I think this is... The, your yeah. assertion last week was that this that was all just a development point for Theon or something, right? That, that, that wasn't how. Well, I no, I said I said that the, it seemed like by cutting to Thea, by focusing on right. Theon's face, it made it it made the scene feel more like it was more about his reaction than it was about hers. And I understand I understand what you're saying, and I think that you're absolutely right. That's what they were trying to do, and I think uh, you know with a week's uh, time to think on it, I think that's not an, it's not at all an unfair reading of the scene. It's clearly well, especially given especially given the first scene of this episode or the first time we see that. Exactly. Yeah, now that now that we've seen where this is going, it's much now that her relationship with Theon going forward is uh, a lot clearer. It makes a lot more sense. Which is funny because it's it's clearer but it's also the same as it was or as we sort of assumed. Well, now I but now I you know, now I know it's the same as it was. Because there is because there was no like major thing for. It. I think that it was part of Theon's development. Obviously, it's going to have some ramifications later. But I think that at this point in time, yeah, this this was about Sansa. And I also like you know this. She starts the scene. She immediately starts to try and take action, uh, not to much effect, but um, she tries. Uh, she also uh, when she has the opportunity to go outside, she very quickly steals a weapon and hides it. Yes, yeah, I saw that. That was interesting. I thought that would. Something would happen there, but I guess it didn't. I'm yeah, I'm sure it's you know gonna come back, but it's... and she's she is messing with uh or trying to mess with um yeah she gets already I was that was I, that was uh, the best moment of of that plot in this episode when she says right to Ramsay's face like you're a bastard and you were legitimized but that was also you know by a king who's also a bastard so he has you know no right to actually do that mm. uh, to have gone through what she has gone through and to still uh, stand up to Ramsay in that way is exactly what I want out of this 
uh, out of Sansa going now and going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I thought uh, so. I mentioned like uh, maybe two three episodes ago. I I thought it'd be really it's really interesting to see the contrast between Jon Snow and uh, Ramsay. I guess Bolton now as like these you know high high potentially highborn um, or they I guess they were they're they're bastards but they're born to at least one lord. Uh, although, you know, we don't know about John's background. Um, and to see them as sort of parallel entities in here is actually drawn very, you know, overtly. Literally, Ramsey's like, well, your bro- you know, your half-brother was doing pretty well at the wall. He's a Lord Commander. And it's almost weird. It's almost like an... I can't tell if it's a manipulation or what he's trying to do there, but it's almost like he admires her brother or he uses him as sort of an example of like, look, yeah, I, I think he's using it's him as an example to, like, prove that Sansa is wrong. I think this isn't, you know, it's actually a very interesting moment because his but manipulation... I do, but I do think there's some, there's some level of admiration because, like, clearly this is, like, if there's any totally. security for him, it's the fact that he's a bastard. And I think that even though he was legitimized he by <laughs> another bastard, uh, I think he, he you know, when when you're in a position where you're like, Okay, so let's put it in a completely different context. If you're like, oh, I'm going to apply to, you know, college or grad school or whatever you're trying to apply to, and you're like, oh, my GPA is not very high, and you start looking up who else had my GPA but got into the place that I'm going, <laughs> I want to go to, you know, because you want to find people who like sort of had the same problems as you but managed to overcome them because it sort of makes you feel like you can. And so in this case, it, it seems like he's he almost looks to not that he thinks about John Stone, but he, he's, he, he looks to these other examples to say, like, well, you know, some people have managed to make something of themselves despite their... Um, oh, yeah, I, I think absolutely he... Weird I, to see. Well, from Ramsey, yeah, to have a... to see him have a very uh, emotional, passionate connection to another person, mm-hmm. and he, I think he very clearly does see John as an, as a role model in a weird way. He's like, well, yeah, he... Like he says in the episode, you know, he's born the bastard of Winterfell, and now he's the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. I think he does see John as an example that, you know, just because I was born a bastard doesn't mean I can't be a very powerful, very, you know, mm-hmm. high person. And that moment with Sansa is really cool because it doesn't, you know, he's put in a position where he's on the defensive, and that's his, never a position we see Ramsay in. Mm-hmm. He's always, uh, just in terms of the dy- his dynamic with other people, on the attack, he's always uh, forcing other people to defend themselves. And I I don't remember what character I mentioned this with uh, previously on this podcast or another one. We all know people like that who just in conversation with them, they're always trying to do that exact same thing. They're always trying to, like, uh, dominate everyone else and very clearly and get everyone else on the defensive so that they can be the alpha in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And Ramsey is... You know that taken to the extreme, but this is Sansa puts him in a posi- in a situation in a position where he has to, in order to assert his dominance, you know, allow himself to be on the defensive. And you can see how uncomfortable he is with that, but you can also see that he's okay with it because he knows he's about to show her the flayed old woman. Right, right, right. So there's certainly that element of it, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that the the what's interesting about um, about this moment, and you know, I, again, not to bring up last week in any great detail, but uh, you know, you you had brought up last week, you know, what the writers could have given sense of something more to do in that last scene. I think another thing that, if again, I still contend 
uh, I still have, I still have a bone to pick with the idea that he she was you know under the mentorship of Littlefinger. But let's let's assume for the moment that she was. One of the things Littlefinger always does is wait for his opening and wait for a time to do that. In the room that night, perhaps bringing up you know she knows this one point of weakness or this one you know stickling point for Ramsay certainly is this new baby brother that he may have soon because uh, she saw it at that dinner or that meal, and I think. Uh, it wouldn't have made any sense to bring it up, you know, that night on that wedding night or anything like that. But in this case, it was a perfect opportunity and she saw her opening and she went for it. And I think that that's, you know, there's a certain element of, and this little finger does this too. And I think Varys does this too. And a lot of, a lot of characters do, but they wait uh, for their opportunity to, you know, see, you know, seize the opportunity to, um, you know, gain power or to gain a little edge or do whatever they're going to do or slice someone's throat or whatever, whatever their, their plan is. And I think that's also part of manipulation. It's not always having control of every conversation, or at least not overt control, but letting people sort of think that they're doing what they you know need to do until they open themselves up for an attack. I, yeah, I totally agree, and I hope that maybe that validates the very clear thing that I, I thought was very clear, her uh, <laughs> tutelage under Littlefinger. Right. I think this is a perfect example of her... Uh, using, you know, or if not using what Littlefinger explicitly taught, quote-unquote taught her, then imitating the way that he uh, would act with other people. Right. You know, de- very deliberately. I here's, agree with you. Here's the, here's the other thing, though, about the Littlefinger <clears throat> the Littlefinger mentorship thing. I think that it's not just... I, I think she's seen it... You know, she was raised in a very manipulation-less household, but as soon as she spent time in King's Landing, any number, any amount of time in King's Landing... Everyone around her was trying to screw everyone else over. I think she spent a lot of time learning yeah, definitely. Uh, from everyone, from Cersei, from Marjorie, from, you know, all these people. You know, Littlefinger was like the last in a line of people who just screw with people all the time. So I think, I think she's learned from all these people. So, you know, you see elements of all these people crop up uh, over time. Uh, so yeah, in any case, I, I absolutely agree. She's certainly learning those things, so that's that's very cool. So yeah, so I think this is a moment where she saw an, an opportunity and she took it, which is cool. Um, There's also a brief scene with Brienne and Podrick, which I swear might as well have been like reused footage from last week because yeah. they don't. It was a cool uh, shot. It, is there is there more? Wait, what was the cool shot? I don't remember. It, it's like uh, they're sort of like watching. They're in the snow and they're like watching the. Uh, to keep it, it, I mean, basically, what the show is trying to do here is keep them in play, so that when inevitably Stannis tries to attack Winterfell or whatever that climax is going to be, Brienne and Podrick will be there in some capacity to do something. Yeah, just reminding us that they're in a nearby building. That's literally the only point. But yeah, no, the shot is just of them. But I think the lighting, I, I, it, it was like one second long, so I don't remember. But um. I just remember it being a, it was kind of a cool shot where they're just sort of watching, and it's it's awful because and the other thing the other thing that they serve in this episode is, um, you hope that Theon's going to do the right thing and you know put the candle in the window or whatever or certainly not tell Ramsay, and so they cut in this in a way to get your expectations up. They cut to them um, to sort of get your expectations up over you know whether or not there's going to be a candle in the window or not. And, um, so in other words, they, they're in the, they're in the episode to remind us that they're there and also to, you know, bolster the, uh, the bait and switch they pull with, with Theon's actions. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 
Uh, you said something very interesting, which is the word snow, and I just want to bring up the fact that it's snowing in all these scenes. Yeah, and, and they have done seen snow since like the first season. I feel like in the first. Well, we only ever see we only ever have seen snow at the wall, really. And if even if it's, I think you know, you'll be surprised. I was recently when I went back and looked at the scenes in even Winterfell in season one. It's very green. It's very bright and sunny. It's oh, you really? know summery. It's there's it's not a snowy location, and. It, I, they are very. Uh, they have very slowly and very subtly uh, introduced the idea of the the progression of winter down the continent, uh, and like people are people are commenting on it, like yeah, winter's coming, it's imminent. But we're also they've introduced it so slowly that you don't even notice. It's not like a thing where all of a sudden one day it's winter. Mm-hmm. It's 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 happened in such a way that. It, it's it makes sense. It's it it's it not does, even although, barely it noticeable. In, has it been in previous episodes? I think it's well. That's the thing. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't remember like when. It might have just showed up in this episode. In which case, it did show up. Well, it's definitely like the. I'm pretty sure the idea of it snowing. Uh, we we haven't seen. I don't think we've seen that in Winterfell before. Or if it was, it was very recently. But I think there has been maybe snow on the ground near Winterfell, or just snow on the ground in the north mm-hmm. previous to this. But now it's like you know, it's a snowing very heavily and they they talk about it with Stannis it's like we can't go anywhere because it's a blizzard right well yeah and I, I but I think that it did suddenly show up but again I, so I would counter that I don't think that it's been subtle per se I think it's cool that it showed up uh, and they're not make they're not like winter is here you know to counter their usual winter's coming uh, stock phrase um, but I think that it's a good thing that it just suddenly shows up because the way they talk about summer and and winter in the show, they say they sort sort of just, you know, even Stannis says at some point, you know, like we're or I think Stannis or somebody says, uh, you know, when it hits, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna happen very very quickly. We're not gonna have time to, you know, and then we're gonna have to wait for the winters to pass. So in other words, uh, it seems like seasons come and go very very quickly. Like there's long summers and then long winters, but they the transition period is very short. So to me, it's it's like makes perfect. Yeah, sense well, compar- comparatively short. Yeah, but right. it, it seems like everything post season one up to now has been like autumn. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I would say that too. So yeah, it's you know it's, yeah compared to the other seasons, it's it's. But like very people brief. weren't freezing. I don't know. It just didn't seem like. Oh no, it's been very it's been very warm. It's actually I saw a comparison of the uh, clothing that people wear, especially even I think even in King's Landing, and how like people's outfits have gotten. Uh, thicker and thicker. Uh, people dressed a lot uh, more warmly in earlier seasons because it was warmer out, and now people are kind of starting to bundle up. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I hadn't paid attention to that, but that's I would love to see that contrast over time. Um, also, quick question. This doesn't affect Essos at all? No, which is... A, I, I don't think so. Uh, it's a... It, maybe Science. it's been mentioned somewhere before. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... Well, yeah, exactly. I don't think... I think this might be a Westeros-specific thing, or or if it's not, it's just, you know, it's not really felt that strongly in Essos for whatever reason. It's very clearly just, like, a magic thing, and we don't really know the forces behind it, but it's weird that even if it was a magic thing, it's specific to this one continent because it raises questions... It raises more questions than you would normally have about this fantasy world, I think. If it was coming from, like, one end of the continent, to the, like, from the west to the east, that would be one thing. But it's coming from north to south, so it's a little weird. Because I was going to say, if it's west to east, it's possible that their equator, quote-unquote, goes through Essos or something. So they're just in a very, like, warm... You know what I mean? Like, 
how often does it snow in Egypt? Let's say, you know, not very often. So, if, you know, it was that kind of climate, maybe that's what it was. But it's not the way geography works. It's just like one continent has winter coming down it and the other continent doesn't, which is just kind of odd. Um, at least as far as we know. I mean, who knows what's going on, you know, in different parts of Essos. That's um, true, yeah. We might we might start seeing snow there soon. I have no idea. We don't know. But speaking of snow, so and Stennis, uh, we get this whole, this whole, this whole thing with the tents. <laughs> I like how they... I really like the scene, by the way, but I, I think that... Uh, you know, we don't really see any of the army or anything. It's very well cut so that it's just inside of basically one tent. And we're given the implication that there is this huge army out there with all these tents and things like that. Um, exactly. Well, yeah, it's, this is similar to what I was saying earlier. You don't have to show something to you know, show something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a little bit different. But anyway, let's... But Same yes. principle. Same right. principle. <laughs> I know what the principle is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I, mean, I know. A, I'm just I mean, saying. It's a thing, in, it's a thing in, in horror films all the time. Um, oh yeah, the, like the thing the you know, sh- the shark and jaw is the famous example. Exactly. Um, so yeah, but I, I think that so a, a bunch of Stannis' troops have abandoned him. Um, the snow is getting really bad, uh, and then Melisandre is like, uh, "Yeah, no, no, this is a great idea. Also, by the way, you got to sacrifice your daughter." Just sort of <laughs> yeah, throws that in there. Yeah, um, I think they they've been very obviously building this uh, all season because Melisandre like keeps talking about how she has king's blood in her. Yeah, I guess like, I didn't over really and think over. about it, but it does make perfect sense. Uh, but I didn't think that they were going to introduce it, or that she was going to introduce it so abruptly. It's like, all of a sudden she's like, yeah, you got to sacrifice your daughter, like, right now. <laughs> and you know, no real that we've seen build up to this uh, idea from her, between her and Stannis. It's just all of a sudden... She brings it up, and it's a terrible idea for her to do it that way because Stannis very reasonably says, no, get out of here. And this is the first time we've seen him, you know, we've seen him challenge Melisandre before a lot, but always kind of go along with her. Mm. But this is this seems like the breaking point for him and Melisandre. This seems like the point where he's like, I can't, if, if this is how it's going to be, I don't know if I can, you know, do this with her anymore. And I think that, I, I think that's a really interesting i mean it's an interesting plot point because of his history of just doing whatever she says i'm like really really concerned like i didn't like this scene on an emotional like i think it makes sense logically on an emotional level i was like oh please don't just kill shireen now like his like blindly following melisandre around is so frustrating to me as a viewer yeah and me too and so seeing like so the fact that he he hasn't said that he's going to do it or anything. But as soon as it was brought up, I was like, "Oh, this better not happen. That's going to be just awful." I mean, talk about it like a traumatizing scene, having to watch them like sacrifice Shireen or something. Um, well, well, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, interesting awful, because awful. this is very clearly the middle part of whatever this particular subplot is going to be. Because the first part, obviously, was uh, Melisandre said, mentions she has King's blood, and or more importantly, Stannis Stannis has that conversation with her where he's like, "I would never let anything happen to you because you're my daughter." And now we have the introduction of this, where Melisandre says, you gotta kill her, and he says, no, she's my daughter. So I don't know what the payoff of all this is gonna be. I hope I, I hope it's not that they're gonna sacrifice Shireen. I, maybe this is just too optimistic. I, for some reason, I just don't think that they would, you know, even for Game of Thrones, setting up an adorable child and then, you know, burning her to death. It seems like a li- even even for Game of Thrones, it seems like a little too much. A little too much. I do. I wonder if this is going to. This could be the end of. I don't. You know, you probably know the books better than me, and you're probably just 
sit there laughing. But since I can't see your face, I'm just going to assume. I have done that. I have done that this season. You have said things, and I've muted my mic to laugh. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This could be. I mean, the other thing they could do is just end Stannis' storyline this way, where he. This is the big thing he decides. He says, much like. um, Much like. uh, Oh, what's his face? Is the the older Stark, the one who died, Rob, Rob, you know he makes a you know it's the sacrifice for love or whatever that he, he makes that ends up costing him and his campaign, you know, he costs ends up costing him the campaign and his life and etc cetera, etc cetera, and his mother's life um, because he he doesn't marry the Frey uh, daughter, and in this case if if you know Stannis is like, you know this is this I won't I won't cross this bridge, and you know sacrifice you know, my daughter, uh, but I'm still going to attack Winterfell and he does and he loses, then this could be just the end of his thing because he just decided not to go with what Melisandre said. So this, you know what I mean? So I would like that. I, could like, see I, that. I don't want him to die. I don't want Stannis' troops to like lose per se, but I just, I would prefer that because then, you know, which is kind of awful to say because you're like, well, you would rather, you know, thousands of people die than one one kid. <laughs> and Stannis has, you know, had this exact argument made to him before by Davos regarding Gendry. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, so it's a little. By the way, they keep bringing him up. Is he finally? Is that boat finally going to land ashore? Yeah, it's like, but he, yeah, so it's a little odd. Um, but yeah, so I, it could be an in, an interesting way to sort of end his storyline and a noble way to end it. It's like, yeah, sure, I I fought for what I believed in. I didn't retreat. I didn't sacrifice my daughter so I can have an easy victory. Uh, I lost, but I lost with honor. Cool, good. good I could, that would honor. be interesting. Here's the danger for Shireen, I think, is that even if Stannis doesn't want to go through with this, and I think that Stannis' refusal, I think Melisandre will probably, uh, you know, listen, she won't go through with it if he says no. But Stannis is married to someone who, A, hates Shireen, and B, is a zealot of Melisandre's religion. Oh, interesting. And I think that she poses a much greater danger to Shireen than either Stannis or Melisandre do. Because if she catches wind of this and that Stannis has refused and she says, well, you know what? I, I Clearly my belief is stronger than yours. I have no problem burning our daughter to make sure that you become king. That is horrifying. Right? But, <laughs> as if we didn't hate her enough. Um, but she's her daughter too. But I guess she does. But she, but she doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't care about her. Which she's, I just don't. so weird. Well, there's also another person with King's Blood at Winterfell and that's Theon. That is true as well. So I don't know how that would, you know, I don't know how that would come about or what'll happen once they get to Winterfell, but that's Wait, that Theon could be have, an option. Why does Theon have King's blood? Well, his father is king of the Iron Islands. Oh, it's oh right, because they have the, each of the kings. Right, right. I forget that the kings are not just the king, but also the high lords are all. Melisandre has kind of a loose definition of king's blood she, sometimes. She does. Think... It made sense when she was talking to John. If that whole you know theory is correct, it makes a little bit less sense when you're talking about. It makes sense when you talk about Sh- uh, Shireen, because Stannis is supposedly the one true king or whatever. Uh, but Theon, I feel like, is a little bit of a stretch unless you consider each of the seven kingdoms to be the, the, them to be. Well, they, yeah, they do. Kings. Even before the War of the Five Kings, they did refer to um, because there was the whole thing was with the Greyjoy Rebellion. So there, I think, I think uh, Balon did get the title of King of the Iron Islands, but he, even though he wasn't, you know, because they had a whole thing where they tried to. Get a little more, get a little more land, and that didn't that didn't work out for them. But right, I think right, part right. of the contrition was that they allowed him to call himself the king of the Iron Islands. You know. Gotcha. gotcha. 
you know, you can, you can, you can be, you can be the king of your thing still, but no, no more. So, okay. So those are, there's a bunch of ways this could go down. I, I think, you know, the not sacrificing your daughter option is the best, but you've posed a lot of threats to that. So thank you for that. I'll definitely be, uh, watching with my heart in my mouth moving forward. (laughs) Um, so across the narrow sea in Essos, I feel like these are, this is probably one of the better, well, okay. It's sort of, does it start with this conversation between Daenerys and Dario? Because why don't we get that out of the I, No, I think we get the slave uh, scene first. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, let's let's do the Daenerys to Dario stuff. Um, was this what you were talking about before? No, I was talking about something else. But okay, then I realized, okay. that, I realized that this is probably... This is what, what I thought you were of. talking about at first, and I was like... Oh. This is very clearly, even though there's no nudity, this is a very good example of, like, we're having a sex scene where people are talking about uh But in this case, I think it makes sense, because they, they really only get together now, it seems like. Yeah, they've had this exact scene before. They have. They have. But, I mean, in terms of these two characters in this world, it doesn't seem like they have many, many other, like, interactions. Yeah, that's true. Well, and that's that seems like um, that's very explicitly their relationship like she brings him in to have sex and then and then that's it like she he says i think like i know i'm only here to serve my queen wink wink right 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 um but uh i don't what did you make of his suggestion that she slaughters all the masters in the pit it was weird i don't know why he said that or or to what end or, or what sense that would make i will say this i think that was weird it would have been made more sense if he said like burn Marine to the ground and let's move on because that's kind of what he said in the past when he's like, we have ships, we can leave. Why are we here? What are we doing? This is stupid. People are dying. Um, but, you know, I was so focused on when Daenerys is like, I need the people of Marine behind me. And I'm sitting there watching going, why? Why do you need the people of Marine behind you? Who cares? Well, what she says is like, well, look, if someone decides to attack my city, it's not going to be great if no one in my city likes me either. They'll turn against me. I need them to not turn against me if someone, you yeah, know, comes Yeah, consider it a failed experiment and move on, man. They don't like you anyway. Like, I don't know. It's just... That's true, but, like, on the other hand, she's in, so she is in says... pretty deep at this point. Like, she's, she's, I think she might be in too deep to back out. Mm. But I, I agree with you that it, you know, it, it's a more valid option than, uh, and they're not even bringing it up. <laughs> It is. Yeah, they're not even bringing it up. And and then we also get this weird, like, uh, so Dario calls Hisdar um, the head of the yeah, the harpy. That... Nobody reacts. Daenerys just goes, yeah. <laughs> like, that was a bizarre moment because, yeah, I mean, that I had doesn't said that, seem to right? have. Like, I thought that was the case, and I think it's been pretty clear that that was the case, but she, he just. Oh, I didn't. I, I actually didn't. Just based entirely on the actor's uh, performance, who plays his dar, I, I didn't, I never got that impression from. Him. And you know, maybe this is—he's uh, not in the books. I don't think there is any specific person in the books, uh, so they could just be biased. Maybe they were going for that in the show, and I didn't pick up on it. Um, but well, I, I, guess I, I never got he the. He represented that constituency, and since the Sons of the Harpy operate on that constituency's behalf, I assumed he was sort of the. Well, but he, yeah, but then the thing he always, you know, he was accused of that. The thing he always said was like, look, you know, those are the other people. It's, it's Wait, not me. I have nothing to do with excuse. it. excuse. I mean, if you bought that, I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I, I know, I know. But it's, it, it didn't seem to, 
I don't know. He does, I never he got does not th- seem like the kill murder type, but neither does anyone who's at the top of the food chain, right? They just sort of tell them. I, I guess I, yeah, I guess I thought we would have gotten the show would have this is the type of show to give us a little more of a tip off if that's what they're going for usually because this character is previously, you know, doesn't seem to harbor any like uh, violent uh malicious uh evil tendencies. That we've seen. The first scene we see right. him is well, like, "Hey, can I take my father down off this crucifix?" Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's not hasn't been that, but that's the that's the insidiousness of it. I don't know. I just sort of I assumed because he was yeah. like the rich guy and you know part of his old families that I assumed that he was. Um, what I thought would have been a much cooler way to introduce the Sons of the Harpy, and we didn't get that at all this episode, was like to see in the pits, like see like a Sons of the Harpy mask somewhere or something. To imply that the pit fighters were the Sons of the Harpy, so that you could sort of see the logic there. Yeah. The former slaves are working for the uh, the older families to, you know, because they're, you know, they still owe money, or because they genuinely like fighting, or whatever. Like, that would have made a lot more sense. It's just thrown away in this scene with Daenerys and, and Dario. Yeah, it's... I don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about where Daenerys is going in this episode. It's It's... That scene with Dario is very strange, and they leave it on a real cliffhanger. But that's where we're going. <laughs> they do, they do, but uh, we do get some good. I mean, it's sort of like almost to remind us that it's happening that she's marrying uh, his star, because then we see them together later, and it makes a little bit more sense. Um, and that she hasn't married him yet, which is weird. When he, when the guy calls his star like your future grace, I was like, wait. Do, have they not? Are they not already married? Because it didn't seem like it. Seem, it would seem kind of weird to me that they would, the show would go to the trouble of actually showing the marriage when it could just be like, yeah, they're married now because that's the last. That's what she said she was going to do. Yeah, but weddings in this show, you know, like That's true. Married. I'm sure. Yeah. I, you know what? I I bet that's where they're going. I bet they're going to have their wedding and like the sons of the harpy are going to attack it or something, and because you know, they can't have a. They can't have a wedding on the show without something cataclysmic. And then happening. a dragon will fly in and kill them, and then yeah, go, it's the mother of dragons. It'll <laughs> end, and everyone will be like, "Isa," and it'll be just like season four or three or whatever it was. Um, but in any case, uh, but we do. I really liked all the. Did you? I don't know if you liked it as much as I did, but I really liked all the the Jora and Tyrion stuff. I'm so psyched that this all paid off now because I've been anticipating this same thing happening, you know, for a while. Yeah, me too. Because this. Does... <laughs> They haven't gotten there in the books. Oh, this is new. <laughs> yeah, no, in the books, Tyrion is like has not met Daenerys yet. Oh. So they, I, I love that they jumped right to it in the show, and I, I get the impression, and I think you, the showrunners actually said this in an interview. I think they said like, yeah, we had, we did this because we were, you know, tired of waiting for it to happen in the books, and we just <laughs> wanted it to happen. And so he's yeah, still on his way or something in the books. Yeah, yeah. There's other stuff that happens, and but basically, he's he's still like making his way to Daenerys. En route. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, that's cool though. That's really exciting. Um, I well, I, but I just thought all of this was really cool. Like, I wasn't expecting them to get there so quickly. You know. Yeah, I me neither. Something was going to happen with the pirates. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to get into like a gladiator fight. You know, so quickly. Uh, you know, all of this was was really exciting. Um. The one thing I would say about the scene that I I didn't love, so there's the whole auctioning off of the, I did like the I did like uh, what's his name? What's the character's name? Um, Malik or what, what's his name? The uh, Malco, the pirate guy, sort of <laughs> his 
uh, embellishment oh, yeah. on the story. That was really funny. He killed Khal Drogo in single combat. I mean, that was that was very clever. And, um, and I also I, I didn't catch it when he actually said it, but um, when he says that like he was the first through the gates of the Spike with his flaming sword, he's apparently like. That's a corruption of Pike, the city of Pike. Oh. And the Flaming Sword is supposed to be uh, Thoros of Mir, who was the guy we saw with previously with the Flaming Sword. Ah, okay. I didn't catch I didn't catch that that was supposed to be like a pun, like when he said it, but seeing it written out, it makes more sense. It makes more sense. You're right, right. Yeah, no, it's, it was a very, very clever uh, moment. Um, but I would oh, say yeah, and I love Jorah's reactions to it, like the little side eye he gives. Yeah, he's just like, okay, whatever. You know, whatever gets me a price, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So that was cool. I thought they were going to do something. And so I'm a sucker for, like, the gladiator, um, you know, Lannister type of um, – Lannister, not Lannister. Um, okay, I was wondering if you mispronounced that. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the – or whatever. So, like, the, dom- the – sort of the, the, the master-slave relationship because, you know, that was, like, all of what Spartacus was about. Um, and so I was kind of hoping this, this guy who, who buys them was going to be a character or something, but it doesn't seem like he really is. Because uh, he makes this interesting choice to also buy Tyrion, and I think the problem I have with this scene is not that it's not Spartacus. My problem with it is that uh, that Tyrion's way of convincing them to take him was so weird. He like beats the crap out of this guy, which I guess is kind of like the culmination of him being sick of a not being able to drink and b being like carried around and chained and dragged from point A to point B and put in boxes or whatever. And it's just you know the culmination of his frustration that he takes out on this guy. But I just thought a more logical way of getting him to take him would be like, no, you have to take me. I'm like his fighting coach. You know, I'm a strategist. Like, I don't, I'm not a fighter myself, obviously, but I like to strategize. And he's, you know, we've always worked well together. Maybe. You know but, I mean? I, like, but on the other hand, I, I think it might, from Tyrion's perspective, maybe the better way to get this done is to, you know, because the reason he takes him is not because he's a good fighter. It's because he's funny. So maybe the reason he does this is to so that everyone will laugh and uh, that's you know that's why he'll be taken is is be you know to it's be one the way fool. To, I just figured it was like a more logical way to go about it because no one was going to believe that he was a fighter and I guess it worked out that everyone laughed but I don't know I just thought it was kind of an interesting choice <laughs> I expected him to say something along the lines of you have to take me because you know like my my specialty is is intellect and you know because you have those people like I, I was thinking of boxing and stuff where you have those people who like sort of are strategists in the corner giving them tips on what to do and how to beat the next guy or whatever. Um, but whatever. I mean, I guess it works out either way. The um, only problem I had with this scene is that they, um, and maybe this is just uh, what we've seen of just culturally of slavery depicted on screen. Uh, they buy Jorah for his physical prowess, and there's no inspection of him where they might discover that he has grayscale. Oh, yes. Yeah, like, you would think point. that, you would think that the person buying him would, like, check him out a little bit uh, and then, you know, the grayscale's right there on his wrist. But they kind of get <laughs> they get around having that discovered by that just not happening. And, you know, so it didn't, like, bug me or anything, but I thought it was a it was an awkward way to get around that. Mm. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of interesting. And, I, and it was on my mind as he was fighting when he finally does get into the uh, into the fighting pit. I will say that Again, not to, but it's because it's directly comparing itself to Spartacus in this scene, because every scene in Spartacus is in a freaking arena for the first two seasons. Um, you know, it's it's funny because in that show, like I said, I think I've said previously, the gladiators just like run riot through the uh, 
like highly trained Roman soldiers. In this case, one trained knight just walks in and, like without even hurting anyone, just like knocks out a bunch of. Well, he yeah, he does them. his he does his Batman non-lethal takedowns. Yeah, exactly, and he just like walks in, so it's like a completely different paradigm <laughs> because that's not how it worked in uh, in the other um, in the other. Show. All but, I could think of was the movie Gladiator, which I don't remember if this is exactly what happens, but there is there is a moment where he the, he finishes the fight and then the ruler comes out and he like reveals himself. Uh, I don't remember if he's wearing a helmet in that scene, but that, that basically plays out the same way. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, similar sort of thing. Oh, is that with uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Is that when he comes out? Yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Um, but this, I thought this was a really great moment. And, uh, you know, Jorah's face when he's seized Daenerys the first time and then, um, you know, when he takes off his helmet and he's like, she's going to love me now. Like, it's so pathetic. I, it's just sad. He calls her Khaleesi, which I can't, uh, yeah. like... It's not even it's not even her title anymore, man. Come yeah. on. Like, there's no one left who thinks that, any, like, says that anymore. Stop it. It's so, like, three seasons ago, man. What's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, and, like, he thinks it's, like, a name that'll, like, I don't know, trigger, like, oh, I really like him, actually. Uh, and then they go, oh, you know, he says, oh, actually, I actually have a gift. And, and Tyrion's like, oh, I am the gift. I will say this. Why did that guy let him go? Why did that guy let Tyrion go? He just like. Oh, I'm glad him. you brought this up because I was going to ask you what your reaction to this was. Um, I was thinking the same thing, and someone pointed this out later and, and sparked my memory. Uh, this uh, random extra with no lines is actually a reference to like a great character in the books who they're not doing on the show, uh, named Strong Bellus. Uh, and I, I miss him. He's he's a great character. He's very funny. He's he's very cool. And he's not on the show, but this person kind of looks like how he's described and the thing he's holding that's, you know, that's the weapon, very similar to the weapon that Strongbell was uses. So I, I, I think that that was supposed to be a little, like, inside uh, joke. Uh, but it is executed kind of awkwardly because if you don't know that, or even if you do and you don't get it, uh, it doesn't. It seems strange that there, there's this one random guy who Tyrion's so, so lucky. I mean, I know, I know, there's limited time, you know, but maybe cut out the Gilly Sam sex scene, and then like have a scene where he just gives somebody an apple or something. All right, fine. So then he gives him, you know, he cuts him. Okay, so there was like a give and take there or something. There's just no reason for him to do it here. He just like grins and like cuts his chain loose. And you're like, Tyrion's the also right. the only one chained to the wall. Yeah. It's not Which I guess, like, maybe they're not gonna, place. maybe they're not bringing him out to the fighting pits. So they don't want him to run away. But it, like, where's yeah. he gonna go? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so weird. Uh, yeah, the whole thing was a little strange. But again, it all plays out quite well. I liked the choreography in the pit. You can actually see what happens in this fight. It feels real. Uh, it's open and wide. See, there's a reason. Uh, one of the reasons that the choreography is so good in Spartacus is partially because it's in an arena, and there's a reason we all, well, not we all, but, you know, whatever, Romans and, and, and I think probably the Greeks too, and, and lots of different civilizations have created pits where people fight for, like, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years because it's a good way to watch people fighting. And so in this scene, surprise, surprise, we have an arena that's wide and open and is meant for people to see it, and we can tell what's going on with the choreography. It's not in a narrow little corridor, it's not people flailing at each other, the camera can actually see what's going on, and it all makes sense. Wow, what a concept. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this was a surprisingly coherent fight scene for Game of Thrones standards. It was, and I thought it was, uh, it was I don't know, I thought it was very enjoyable. Um yeah, so all of this panned out really well, and I'm very, very, very excited to see Tyrion and Daenerys together, of course. Oh, I'm so excited. Not to spoil anything, but next uh, episode is uh, Hardhorn, 
uh, hard home, sorry, uh, and hard home is you know nowhere near here. So probably if if next episode is uh, oh, so it's gonna be no, it's gonna have nothing to do with hard home. No, 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 no. It will have. <laughs> I think it'll be all about hard home. I think that whole episode will be hard home. And so we you mean? Oh, I'm, I'm saying you mean the same way that the House of Black and White was right, all about right. the House of Black and White. Right, right. But in this case, it's episode nine. Remember, I think we're going into. Oh, it's episode. It's eight. eight. Oh, it's eight. Yeah. Okay, so maybe not. Yeah, you're right. I have no idea. <laughs> we might not get any hard home. I wouldn't get my hopes up for a lot of hard home next week, given this season's track record. Cool. So then maybe that means lots of Tyrion. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, the thing that I was talking about earlier with the 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 sex scenes was right. in Dorne. Right. Uh, first of all, there's a brief scene. I did like. I didn't I catch actually this really like this scene. The one. I didn't the catch one it, in the yeah. jail cell, not the uh, Marcella, Jamie scene. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the, yeah, the Marcella Jamie scene is kind of a throwaway moment, but I did like how uh, Jamie is in this room. Like the first time I watched it, I didn't even register that it was a prison cell. Uh, but you know, the second time you're like, yeah, there's a bars, you know, a gated door, and there's bars it's everywhere. It's very, very lovely, though. Yeah, it's very, you know, posh. You <laughs> cuts a brawn and the sand snakes yeah. are in just this, you know, completely featureless room. Which uh, I, find I, I like that. I know why you would throw brawn in there. The sand snakes, though, I know they were operating against the king, but so was Jamie and their royalty, but I guess they're their own royalty. Well, oh, yeah, they're, royalty, but they're bastards. They're bastards, so I guess, yeah, I don't know. A little weird, but, um, so, you know, I would say the one thing that was valuable about this scene with Marcella is um, I have, still have no more confidence in uh, Nell Tiger Free's acting. But uh, the one thing that was valuable is seeing her relationship with Jamie and how Jamie's, you know, she's still like, you're my uncle. Well, she doesn't say that, but the implication, you're my uncle. And Jamie's like, but I'm really your father. You can see him wanting, <laughs> wanting to say <laughs> But it was kind of cool just to remind us of their relationship that she has no clue you know, really about. And, and unlike... Um, Joffrey and uh, Tommen, it, you know, she doesn't. She's not. She hasn't been exposed to all the rumors per se uh, from that are going on in Westeros about Cersei and, and Jamie, and so she's probably not been exposed to that as much. And so uh, her understanding of their relationship is a little bit different. So I thought that was cool. Um, I will say yeah. I'm not. I'm not in love with going back to the. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm really glad we're beyond the uh, Sansa. You know. Uh, petulant teenage years that we got in like the first season where she was like no dad that's not cool dolls are stupid I don't like dolls you know that <laughs> like that whole I mean that's why people start like didn't like her from the outset right you know and she's, she's grown on a lot of people since then but but now we're back to that with Marcella like oh I don't want to I love him and you know it's great and the worst part is you know in this scene it's almost like he responds to that you know in his head he's like I loved someone too once you know you could almost see him saying that and it's just like oh you know, I, this I don't scene care. Didn't, this scene didn't register on me at all. Like this really? scene made no zero impact on me whatsoever. Oh, I guess I had more thoughts about it. It seemed like yeah, which I appreciate a lot because this yeah, this scene did I barely even remembered any of the details from it. But uh, but I mean, the real meat of what goes on in Dorne is definitely in the cells. Yeah, and this scene is so weird. It is weird, but I, in a good I, way. I, can't I even actually begin. cared about the sand snakes for the first time. And I think that the uh, was it Rosabelle Laurenti Sellers who plays uh, Tyene is out of the Sand Snakes we've heard like act in any to any significant degree so far has delivered the best performance. 
Well, the other two, for their limited role, are solid in this scene. I love when she starts doing her routine and they you see them both roll their eyes. That yeah, was really funny. But I mean, rolling your eyes in, like, in the background is different. Than I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's like a... It was a tough scene to pull off, I think. You know, this very strange... Like, can you imagine being directed to do this scene? Like, okay, now you, you start undressing, but you're sort of in the bars. And the whole point of this is to get an antidote to Braun for this thing. I mean, it's confusing as hell, <laughs> and but she pulls it off really well. I mean, I don't know what the scene was supposed to be, but whatever it no, was. No, the scene was the scene was the worst excuse in Game of Thrones history to get a woman naked on screen. Really, like, the worst. Because why would you why would you poison Bronn intentionally, and then give him the antidote? It, like, what was the point of poisoning him in the first place? Well, I think that it, it's a case of my plan was to poison him. Uh, but now that we're in this different predicament, and I guess she actually has a thing for him, I think that's actually what uh, it is. I don't think that's uh, no, I don't think that's it at all. I think it is. No, I, no, she's playing him the whole time. What's the playing? What's the playing? The playing is, you know, the whole, uh, you know, I'm attracted to you routine. I assumed, yeah, I assumed that's what it was, and then he was just gonna die, and she sort of got off on that, but then. She's like, no, no, no. Here's the antidote, and then just to confirm it all at the end, she goes, no, no, no. I really think you're cute. Oh, I didn't. I didn't like, think she meant. It didn't seem like she meant that to me. That seemed like a very cheeky, uh, like, oh, you know, I'm going to pretend that you. I didn't just almost kill you. I, I guess. I don't know. I just sort of my. Imp- I mean, the one thing it does. None is of this red is genuine to me. The it does uh, humble, Ron a little bit. I think, which is kind of interesting. Um, by the way, so much for our theory that he was just going to die. Uh, I thought this was it. Yeah, well, I just... So I don't know what they're doing. So. I don't... Exactly, yeah, I don't know why... I think he has uh, to be there to give Jamie an escape route at the end, when they leave Dorne, whatever it is. And he might die as they leave, but I think he has to be I alive. I guess, but then, that. yeah, but if they, again, if he needs to be alive, and that's why they, 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 from a writer's perspective, you give him the antidote, why would you poison him in the first place? Yeah, it's very... Like, I don't understand why any of this happens, and it seems like just a, an extremely contrived reason to have this scene where she takes the clothes off. And the camera is the camera is more than normal on this show, like, really leering at her in a, in a un, you know, uncomfortable way. I, I guess. I don't know. I thought that, again, I think that it was... I, I, it's... I don't know what the Sand Snakes are supposed to be, or what the show has, you know, what they do on this show. So this is the best example I had of them, you know, see at least one of them using sexuality and a bunch of other stuff in a way that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and by the way, it's all at, you know, you you're saying all that, you know, about the the nudity thing, but all of it is at their own agency, and it's all at the expense of Braun. So okay, wanna, but like, I think. But is it's it not? but it's not really because there's because this is all ultimately uh, there's no it's a contrived reason for them to do this in order to you know so that this character this actress can be naked. No, I don't it's, think it's not if they're going to develop her into some sort of have a, some sort of relationship with with Braun, whatever that may be, not like necessarily romantic, but some sort of you know. Oh yeah, but I don't think they're the going to at all. Think, oh, I think they will. Otherwise, the scene really not. is completely pointless. But I think that's clearly what they're setting up. Yeah, well, yeah, but that's why I think it's pointless. I don't see any. Re- I just don't see any reason to think that she- any of what she said was genuine. The only thing I came up with while I was watching it is that maybe she's trying to get him aroused so that the you know some the blood will flow to again get the poison to work faster or some some but again, weird that wouldn't make thing any like sense that. If exactly she does that, but so that's what I'm saying. I I think that she repeats it enough times, even after 
there's no point in saying it anymore, saying that she has a thing for him. So I think that is a thing. But, but I, again, even I think even if that's the case, I don't think she has a thing for him. I think she's just teasing him. I don't think it means that she's attracted to him at all. I don't know that something will come of it, but I do think she has attracted him. But anyway, that's this is all semantics. I think. Or even if or even if she does find him attractive, I don't think she has any intention. You know, intention. No, I think it will play out him. though in whatever the final play is to get them out of Dorne. Mm-hmm. I think that you know there's going to be some moment with her and. And Braun. I think that's a, that, that's what. Oh well, then that's a. T- oh, you like she? So she would betray the Sand Snakes because she thinks he's hot. Well, not betray the Sand Snakes per se, but you know, maybe they, you know, they're able to work together when they get out. Because right as it stands, he thinks they're a bunch of kids playing with knives, and so he has no respect for her, or, you know, for them. Uh, and so that could now that's all been flipped on its head, where he actually almost died as a result of. I just don't think I don't think this scene made it. This scene made no sense to me. It, it was. It, I'll tell you what didn't seems... make any sense. That stupid poison. If even a drop of this gets on your skin, you'll die. Okay, that's a stupid thing to have on your weapons because yeah, you yeah. If even a drop moronic. gets on your skin, you'll die, but not for twelve hours or so. Well, not for twelve hours because it's slow acting. But 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 I think it's just stupid to have it on your weapons. Like I understand something that if it gets if you cut someone, it gets into their blood and kills them. That makes sense to me. Something oh. that is that. Okay, I see it, what you're saying. It's just it's just unnecessarily risky. <laughs> yeah, well, that does. Yeah, that's a that's just a, a bizarre dialogue moment. Then, yeah, it's like why why you you could have just said yeah if even a drop gets in your in your system in your blood, but no, you like a drop makes contact with your skin. Yeah, I mean you'll just. Die. I mean, I guess maybe how setting, weird it might be setting something else up, something later. I don't know. Who the hell knows? Um. But anyway, it's such a strange moment, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, we should get into the King's Landing stuff, which, because I, I don't know about you, but I loved everything in King's Landing this episode. I thought it was really good, yeah. There's a lot. Oh, jeez, we got to get through this. Okay. <laughs> so um, we have a lot of uh, Olena going around talking to people in this episode. Yeah, her scene with the High Sparrow is was excellent. It was. Like, it, above par for the show, I think. I will say it was very good. Um, I think it made the High Sparrow and Jonathan Price more interesting than they've been in the past, or more interesting than he's been in the past. Um, with good lines, I'm a little upset with the rhetoric. I don't know if this bothered you at all, but he's like, you know, people aren't going to follow, you know, when, once you don't have all of your minions to do your, like, you know, crops and whatever all of your wealth goes away and there's only a few of you and there's a lot of them. I'm thinking all this, it sounds like 99% rhetoric, you know, like all the Occupy Wall Street, all that stuff, uh, which perhaps not in everyone's view, but in many people's view are kind of the good guys in the real world. And in this case, this guy's like, represents simultaneously like super strict religious fanaticism and also somehow the working man. And he means it honestly, as that's that's sort of the point of the scene is that he's like dead serious. Uh, like that, he actually believes that. So but don't it's a lot like of this like weird conflation of ideologies, and I'm just like really uncomfortable with it. But but hasn't it been you know ever since uh, this uh, our current American conservatism, Reagan conservatism started? It's always been that these people think they're the silent majority or whatever. It's like uh, you know you don't think that uh, we have any power. But uh, we, but we, the the real, you know, real Americans from real America, uh, we outnumber these uh, liberal uh, ivory tower rich rich people. 
and uh, when the time comes, oh, yeah, we have way. the power. In so a way, I, I think. But what he's saying, but the, the, the what he's saying though is is about, uh, you know, it, it seems like he's talking about the servile class, and I think that that's interesting because that's not. Did you have this problem with the Dark Knight Rises too? Because I have this problem with the Dark Knight. Because it's the same thing. It it it, it also conflates. Uh, vaguely Occupy Wall Street ideals with uh, the villains. Well, no, I didn't, and here's the difference. It conflates it with the villains, but in that case, yes, the ideology of of Occupy Wall Street taken to the far left extreme that it could be taken to uh, can lead to things like, say, Che Guevara and all that stuff, which is like violent revolution. To me, that was a logical progression, what you know, Bain was doing or whatever. is like, like not in a good way, taking any ideology to its logical extreme is going to be a bad thing. But that was, in this case, we have left, left-leaning left ideologies mixed with very right-wing conservatism. And that's kind of strange to me. Whereas Bain was like a terrorist, you know, like, you know, trying to blow up Wall Street or whatever. I don't even remember what the hell his plan was. But you know what I mean? Like, to me, that makes a little bit more... You know, see what I'm saying? Well, yeah, but I, I, my point was more that, like, I don't think that The Dark Knight Rises is making a point as nuanced as any philosophy taken to its extreme, you know, can have negative consequences because there's no, you know, opposite version of that in the movie. It's pretty much just, uh, this is what well, Bane's I, I, no, doing no, and he's I, the I bad do, guy. Okay, not to get into The, the Dark Knight Rises, I don't even got on that. Which is a movie I don't like. But oh, really? I and I actually do uh, like it quite a bit. But anyway, I, I, I would say that it is making that point that it's not saying... It's sort of saying the the, uh, it's saying that things aren't as black and white as they seem. That you can't just blindly follow an ideology to its logical extreme because, uh, you know, you're always going to get the inevitable Bruce Wayne, who's a rich guy who's part of the upper class, but is actually good, you know. But and you're always going to get you know the crazy people in your. Oh, yeah. Well, Bruce Wayne is kind of in. I think maybe you could see him as, you know, Bane is ta- is the. Uh, taking the lower classes in this revolution against the rich people and Bruce Wayne is the heroic the good rich person who they don't realize is actually out there and he's going to put a stop to it. I think you could read it that way. Right. Right. Okay. So but how does this <laughs> to Game of Thrones? No, I'm just saying I'm saying it's it's an example of putting Occupy Wall Street ideals in a more villainous context than usual. Sure. All right. Fine. But I, I just find it weird because it, it's like I don't know that that movement or that ideology sort of meshes with the ideals of you know highly highly conservative uh, religious things as we've seen so far. Um, but I think. It, but like I said, I think you do often hear for this conservative angle of uh, you know. And I think we are the true you're majority. Right, and I think that is interesting. That's an interesting point. Um, the one thing I will say is I think that no one's called him out on this yet. But the High Sparrow is like. You know, I just want, you know, whatever, you know, the people, you know, it's just, it is what it is. You know, it's like, and it's like, no, 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 you don't want money. He's like, I don't want money. You know, because he sees something much more valuable than money. Power. Power. And I don't know why anyone hasn't called him out on that. Like, Well, no, how, well, what I think is this? really fascinating about this turn, because you, when the High Sparrow was first introduced, you had this, uh, you thought that this was more like a facade, which is what Elena thinks. That that he is that he might be uh, you know he he's in it for something greater he might these might not really be his I- strongest ideals what I think this episode reveals is that you know far more terrifying is that he absolutely believes everything he says and I think more than power what he's interested in is you know yes power but more importantly having the power to exert his beliefs on everyone and that is a, absolutely a form of 
a power it's and control. driving her powers. Yeah, the, you know, demon, yeah, control. control yeah, but yeah. it is specific to his ideology. It is, but I think that I still don't know that he believes it so much as he sees it as the most equalizing and easy way to achieve that power. If he's like, well, if I'm going to follow this thing, I know I'll have control over the, you know, the upper class, the lower class, everyone, because they all have to fall under this. But he was already power. into it before there was any hint that he could have that opportunity. Well, we don't know that, though, because when we met him, he was already in charge of all of the sparrows. Which was yeah, already but so, a power grab. Well, but, he's, so, but he said he wasn't really. Well, okay, but well I, he said he wasn't, is, but that's nonsense. I, no, I, what I think this episode is getting at, and in a shot later on, uh, when we see him and Lancel kind of staring menacingly at Cersei being dragged away, I think what that's communicating to us is, like, you know, he, he is a character who can't be bought. He doesn't actually have ulterior motives. He believes this. And that's what makes him so scary, and, and that's what makes him so dangerous, is that uh, when Olena goes to him and tries to kind of suss out his, his real motivation, there's nothing underneath. There's nothing more to him. He he truly yeah, but, believes in, but, in but this. But see, I disagree. I think what he... And when he gives that whole speech about the um, chapel or whatever they're in, and he's, like, stroking the stone or whatever he's doing, I think he, what he's the way he likes to see the world is I can equalize everyone to this 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 baseline uh, or like throw them all up against the same uh, sort of delineator and once we do that I am in charge of that I have the because you know, like, the thing is no matter what he says and this is why I don't believe like any religious fanatics who are in power of any sort I know that they I mean it's just almost inevitable that they are in they know they have the power over this group of people and even if they believe it or believed it or whatever their their situation is they also do it for the power and so by because he can sort of filter everyone through this strain so they're all equalized and he has the final arbiting power of i am in charge and i get to be the final word on what it is that we're interpreting from this book that we all read yeah that's him exerting power over people and so while he may or may not believe it he likes the idea that he can filter queens peasants whatever through the same thing and then once you've done that now we're on a playing field where i'm in charge and i get to decide what goes on and that's exactly what he does in that last scene the only the only thing that i think uh points toward that is when he tells cersei that he will be on the uh, council of seven septons for the trial because obviously you know if he truly believes that everyone's equal then why would he specifically uh be on this council why wouldn't it be why does he have to be there unless he is truly in charge? But ultimately, I, and maybe this is just my uh, optimism for the show, but I do think it would be better writing to have a character in King's Landing who isn't just secretly in it for power. Because that's boring. That's every character in King's Landing is secretly in it for power. I think it's far more interesting to have all of those people who are uh, and are established to be. Well, yeah, but I think it's it's an interesting. Every character who tries to go, go for power all goes through it through different ways. You know, Cersei goes through it usually often went through her family to try and get what she she wanted. Littlefinger has his thing, and he gives a whole speech about that a couple of seasons ago, and power and climbing the ladder and all that chaos nonsense. You know what I mean? And so, and so this is this is perhaps still power, but it's it's going through, and it, I would agree, an interesting route to go through religious ideology. Um, but I think if it, Game of Thrones has taught us anything, if it's trying to teach us anything, it's that everyone will do what they can to achieve power. Um, that's what ev- that's a theme on every single plotline in the show from beginning to end. It is about power. It's with Daenerys' plotline. It's Ramsay Bolton's plotline. It's Sansa's plotline. It's John's. Well, John's probably the only one who isn't, which is why he has to win at the end. 
Well, but here's the thing. <laughs> if, if what you're it's saying Dennis's is true... It's plotline. It's Melisandre's yeah. plotline. But it, okay, but yes, but which is why I think it would be a more interesting writing choice to have a character who isn't like that but is still achieving power. But that's, but that's John. Is, uh, that's I, what John I is. Guess, but but from but from a villainous perspective, right? Oh, Not right. from a heroic a heroic perspective. Yeah, maybe. We'll see what happens. I, I, just, I don't know yet. I guess we'll we'll see how it pans. I like out. the idea of having this character who no one in King's Landing really knows how to deal with him because he doesn't play by their. Uh, you know, Game of Thrones rules. Uh, he's just, he's in it for his belief system and to kind of impose that on everyone else. And like, yeah, like you're saying, I agree with you. I think that is a form of power that he's chasing. But I don't think specifically in, you know, his primary objective in his head is I want to be in charge of everything. I think it's, I want everyone to be, you know, following Yeah, but it religion. is convenient that once you've boiled everyone down to their root, whether or not they follow it, you know, to their roots and whether or not they're following these these rules... He gets to make the, have the final say. It's a very convenient system. I mean, he talks about, and that's what I'm saying. That he gives this whole speech about this this chapel that's been here for so long, and there's the one upstairs. But as soon as it goes away, this is the only thing that'll be left, and this is the root of thing. This is the stone basin of of life, and you know, like all that stuff. And he likes, you know, he's physically touching the thing, and it's like I control this. This is me. This is my domain. I force the entire world into my domain where I can do whatever I want. And I think that that is very. That's an that's a really interesting read of that scene. That's, that's how, how I read I, it. And I no, and well, I mean, I, I I think with um, you would, Olena, I thought that was the same thing. I was like, he's like, she's like, you don't want money? What do you want? I'm like, power. He wants power. Power. She doesn't even challenge him on that. <laughs> well, no. What I think is interesting about his scene with Cersei and the and the altar is he's talking about is. That's not a metaphor for power. What he's saying exactly what he's been saying all along, and this is the moment in the story where normally he would kind of reveal what he's actually after. And it turns out what he's really after is, yeah, he wants to strip away all the all the gold and, and the riches and the finery and just have everyone and, and make things simple and, and not uh, without all this extra uh, nonsense and these, these class differences, I guess. And... That is, this is the last part of his villainous ploy is to get rid of, you know, except for Tommen, everyone who's a real, th- really, not including Tommen, I guess, everyone who's a real threat to his power anymore <laughs> is gone now. So there, this is the point where he explains to Cersei, he turns on her and assumes, you know, his ultimate position of power. And what he says isn't, uh, you know, I'm doing this because I like being powerful. What he says is exactly what he's been saying the whole time. Right, but I, and I, I found that so fascinating. Of, yeah, but I think his actions speak more. You know, if he had said it, we would have, you know, he doesn't need to say it for him. What he does is immediately exert his power over the queen, which I think is far more potent. Than but, it, well, but that's the thing. I, you read it as, just, as power. I read it as he's exerting his religion over the queen. And I think that it, they well, are... Religion is you power. Can, they are, <laughs> hey, well, that's true. And I think you can, you know, you can read them as the same thing. I, I think that's a totally reasonable uh, way to read that scene. But I find it more interesting to think about him as a character who, you know, yes, he's after the religious control. But he's obsessed. But he's in it for the religion first and foremost. Interesting. Well, I guess we'll see what... I I don't know if we'll get any more info on that, but... um, We did skip over a few things. We did. Just a couple. Uh, So, did you like all this stuff with Marjorie and and Cersei? And by the way, Cersei doesn't even see this coming, which kind of blows my mind. Oh, um, well, I, we didn't even... Oh, we you also were going to talk about Elena Littlefinger? Well, yeah, there's just one quick thing, because this is the other mention of a gift in this episode. Right, 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 right. Is, uh, he says he has a gift, and it's a this handsome a young man. Vague, 
Oh yeah, I, I, I don't know who he's talking about. I think he's. I thought he was talking about Gendry, but then I was like, why would he know who Gendry is? So well, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I don't know what handsome young man like. Yeah, I'm trying to think of all like the handsome young men characters in the story who this could possibly be referring to. Unless he somehow freed Loris, maybe he would. He would. He would just say that. I think, right? Well, no, not if the show wants to leave us on a cliffhanger, which it often does. Exactly, but that would be a bizarre cliffhanger instead of him saying. Because what he's saying is, you know, my my gift to you in order to help you free Loris and Marjorie, you know. He wouldn't say that, it's and Loris, then yeah. he's just already freed Loris. <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense. All right, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about here. Uh, unless it's Tommen. That would also be a that would also be strange. I yeah maybe. Maybe it's Tommen because if he is able to somehow threaten, if he thinks Cersei's still in charge, threatening Tommen in some way might get Cersei to get the faith. Militant to or maybe it's also a character we don't know. Maybe it's uh, a new character. Maybe it has something to do with the High Sparrow's past. Uh, you know, someone who can. Oh, good point. Somebody, some like someone who can undermine him. Yeah. Like leverage. Could, I think it very, it very, very easily could be someone we don't know. It would, but that would be kind of annoying since we haven't given any. Hey, that would be a weird cl- way to reason we also to leave a about his past, about the High Sparrow's past. Exactly, so and it, it would just. I think it would be uh, kind of lame to leave it with this cliffhanger of, like, who's he talking about? And it's a character we, you know... I've never seen. Uh, we could not have guessed because we didn't know this person existed. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is a brief moment. It's kind of cool to see them in the uh, in the brothel when it's all destroyed. Um, and then they, we get this reminder that Littlefinger and Elena were allied at some point to take out Joffrey, which was cool. Yeah, they straight up say, like, yeah, we killed the king, which yep. I don't think they've said out loud before. Uh, I feel like it's been they, been There have been, like, you know... Implication, like it's very clear that this is what happened, but right. I don't think that in dialogue anyone's specifically said this. Right, 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 right. Um, oh, and before we get down to Marjorie, uh, Tom and, and Cersei also speak. And uh, oh, this was such a good scene. It was cool because it, it sort of reminded me of that scene when maybe the first season with Joffrey and Cersei was it the first season where she has a whole conversation where she says, "I'd do anything for you and whatever." And, I don't remember when that was, yeah. But I know, I know the scene you're talking about. You know about. what I'm talking about? And they're like by a window and then they're somewhere else. And he's, I don't know if she's fixing his shirt or something. Anyway, but it's a very similar scene. But in this case, you don't have a crazy person talking. But it's just depressing, you know, because. Well, but that's what's interesting. You you and, Sir, and I think Cersei see uh, shades of Joffrey in Tommen in this moment. In his, you know, in his rage. And, you know, I will, I'll, I'll go in and slaughter every last one of them. I think the Cersei is concerned about that because that's, you know, Tommen was supposed to be not like Joffrey. But now he's been put in a situation where this side of him comes out for the first time. And yeah, but I don't... I would be... Okay, I'll put it this way. If any, if Tommen in any way goes towards Joffrey level of anything, I will be very upset. Because I think it's just stupid. You know, it's like Tommen is a, clearly a very different person. Even if he gets upset and his reaction is completely... It's interesting you read it like that because I didn't. Uh, I just... To me it was... Not that this is a normal reaction for a human, like, normal person to have, but in the Game of Thrones and the fact that he's the king and the fact that these are military or, mil- you know, faith militant, they are armed fanatics, I can see him saying, you know, listen, uh, we need to physically attack them. And so when he says slaughter them, it's sort of just a fit of rage version of the same idea. We need to deal with them with force. Because well, then no, he I, goes on and on and goes, mm. oh, and then we're going to raise an army and we're going to have a war and everything. And it's just like, Clearly, he's just a kid. Well, what he see, all he says is, "I'll start a war if I have to." But I think that 
you see even sh- in his performance uh, callbacks to uh, Jack Leeson as Joffrey and just the way that uh, I miss kind him. of you know I actually thought that in this episode I was like I really miss Jack Leeson I, I mean I hate his character right but he was so great I mean I can't it, it's I almost, miss the performance yeah I don't miss the character no right, right exactly but I like it's just like there was a whole era you know we had to suffer through Joffrey for like <laughs> it's three true. seasons four <laughs> seasons and you know it's weird to not have him around anymore. But anyway, if, yeah, I was thinking about that actually. <laughs> I was thinking about uh, pretty much that in this episode too. How um, a lot of the character deaths in previous seasons, it's felt like the next episode they're not around, and it feels weird to have the show without them. But I feel like the characters who have died this season, we haven't really felt that. Like I haven't really felt Barristan's absence, for instance. Barristan. Oh yeah, he died. Yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to think even who even died this season. I was like, who died this season? Uh. Yeah, Barrison. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They haven't really... But he wasn't doing anything. He had, like, one line in episode, if anything. Well, exactly. It, it was Jorah leaving was a bigger deal. He didn't even die. because he yeah, He's still a presence on the things. show. And now he's a presence again, so, like, now he's back. But there was a whole period of time, remember, he wasn't around until he kidnapped Tyrion. Uh, it was, like, half a season, I guess? Eh, like, a little less not, than not... You know, with, I think he left episode eight last season, and he was back episode three this season. Right, right, right. But him leaving was a bigger deal because he actually had lines every episode. He's been a huge part of the show since the beginning. Barristan came in and said a couple of things here and there, and they tried to make his part bigger before he died. Like, he said a whole bunch of stuff about Rhaegar, and then that was it. So he wasn't as very, nearly as big a character, I think. And so, yeah, we haven't felt it as much. Um, but, you know, like, Joffrey had you know scenes and scenes and scenes and... He was just so hateful, and it was very, very memorable. And it's just weird now not to have him around. Uh, not that uh, Dean Charles Chapman doesn't do a good job as Tommen and everything, but um, it's just different, you know. And I don't think it's memorable because he's just a kid. No, well, I, I do. I, I like I've said in the past. I really like what they're doing with Tommen's character, and I think this is a really interesting moment because it's we do it's see a little this. helpless, which is kind of hard to watch. Well, it's true, but on the other hand we see this moment where he is not. And he, and I think, I'm surprised you didn't. I felt like it, you were kind of forced to remember the, the last time we saw a little blonde child screaming about how many people he was going to kill because he was angry <laughs> in King's Landing. And I, and I think that Cersei's reaction, I, oh my God, can we talk about, I think Lena Hetty might be the best actor on the entire show. <laughs> she is so good in the, I overall, love, but in this episode. She's, she's phenomenal. She, um, She's so good. Her her monologue to Tommen is fantastic. About and I I love. I think I like Cersei. This is like as a character for the first time after this episode because I love her monologue to Tommen. I love that she's a character who can be so plainly evil, but also have genuine you know motherly instincts and you know love for her children. Right. And that she isn't you know to be evil. She isn't completely devoid of a heart. I will I will I, say it did immediately call back to the um to the. A fortune teller thing at the beginning of the first episode of the season that I wasn't a fan of. It did oh, yeah, give, I forgot that even happened. Wow. Yeah, well, it gave more weight to the scene to me cause, for me because she's like, "You have no idea how much I, you have no idea," and I was like, "Okay, I get it." We're <laughs> supposed to remember the, um, but yeah, I mean, I I thought that was kind of cool. I, you know, legitimized that scene a little bit more for me because I didn't, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of it when it happened. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I thought it was good. I, I think Lena Hayes is really good and. Uh, um, she's even better in the uh, in the following scenes where every time you get a close up of her, it's just I don't know I don't know how she's doing it, but you can just see 
not even in her face, but like behind her face, the way that everything's happening, with just these like very slight movements, yeah. uh, and you see it um, in her, you know, barely contained smirk with Marjorie. Uh, in in that scene, and I, I do I I love in that scene. How I know you were so incensed last season, last season, last episode that you probably weren't paying attention to this specifically. But I think she did that very thing when um, during the, the the kangaroo court, you know. Um, oh no, yeah, the Cersei smirk. I, I want a supercut because she does it a lot. She and does it's very but, specific, but it's like one sided. When she's when she sticks up for Marjorie, you know, quote unquote, uh, you know, and she's like, "This is outrageous. This can't be a you know, you know, I don't." this is just some boy. Why should we take his word over someone else? And you just, you know, she's just setting him up to deliver the next line. Um, but the way it's all delivered, I thought she did a great job. So yeah, she's, she's always great. And the other thing I'll say is that it's difficult to do all those, uh, you know, one of the things I always think older actors have um, a little bit of a leg up on younger actors with is uh, subtlety and facial expressions. Uh, you know, Gary Oldman in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is amazing, but he also has like, so many lines on his face or whatever so that he can deliver just the subtlest twitch that just says everything, uh, which is a lot harder for someone like, you know, this is why I find Ryan Gosling so insufferably boring to watch. But he is like, you know, his skin is like perfectly taut and it's, you know, it's very, you know, pretty, but it's not, it's very difficult to, you know, do subtlety with something like that. And and I think uh, Lena Headey is very similar in that way. And yet she's still managing to do this subtle stuff, which I think is very cool. Um, yeah, so well, I, I think the, the best example is when um, she's smiling to the High Septon and then the High Septon kind of turns it on her for the first time. Right. And you can see, like, her face, her expression doesn't even change. It's not like even, you know, uh, the way maybe a lesser actor yeah, would yeah. do it is like the smile would start to drop a little bit. She doesn't do that, but she, but she does at the same time. Like, something in her eyes, like, something even imperceptible changes and you can tell that, like, you know, all of a sudden she's terrified. Right. But she's still maintaining the exact same facial expression. It's it's, and she tries it's to maintain fascinating. The voice and whatever that she has. And yeah, 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 it's very cool. Um, yeah, I thought this was great. Uh, I also like that we're seeing the, the was it the black prison or whatever they the black cells. Everything's got a goddamn name in this show. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the black cells. I I thought they were gonna make some reference to Ned Stark or something at some point. I thought that might happen because that's where he was kept right before. Yeah, right in that exact place because Baylor is right out there, um, except to Baylor. So anyway, I thought that was they were going to reference that, but they because she says you know people go crazy in here, and I thought Marjorie would say something like well Ned Stark didn't or something like that, which would be kind of a call, cool callback because we haven't heard his name in ages, and um, and this was the same location, or whatever. I, I don't know. I thought we would get something like that. I guess we didn't. Uh, but it was cool to see, and I was thinking about this uh, actually on my way home from work. Um, I was thinking about this. Uh, so now Marjorie and Cersei are in cells, I think, next to each other. Uh, it would be interesting to see them sort of work together to try and get out moving forward. Uh, conversely, it would be cool for them to try and work together and then uh, immediately one of them stabs the other in the back because they hate each other. Um, I really wanted them to throw to throw Cersei in the same cell as Marjorie. I thought it was, might have been, like, at the end, you know, that we would see they were in the same cell, but I guess they're not. Because that, that would have been a great punchline to that moment. And I, but I didn't bring this up. I love that when she brings Marjorie the food, she, like, very, you know, she, she, or just offhand, she mentions that it's leftovers. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And she doesn't yeah, even say it, but she's really like, yeah, I, I, it's good. I, I had it last night. Yeah, just, <laughs> just last night. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, it's awful. And Marjorie is really, I thought she was really great, too. Um, 
Natalie Dormer does a really good job yeah. in this scene too. And Jonathan Price again, so good in his in his scene with Cersei at the been, end. I he's been so much. I like I've enjoyed him this season. Um, yeah, he's been solid, but I haven't really been able to get a read on the character, etc. But I think that this episode in general, he was he was very good. And I thought his whole scene with Cersei at the end was was excellent. I love the way he. When he does the reveal that he's turning on her, the way that he delivers those lines is so... It's just dripping with with uh, Venom, hatred yeah. Yeah. and disgust. Like, oh, he, like, the way he's like, he had so much to strip away. Right. I, I can't even imitate it because it's, it's so loaded now, with does, the line delivery. Does Cersei sleep with Lancel at some point in the earlier... She season? did, yeah. She and, did. Uh, so yeah. I wonder if that was revealed, which is why... Is that the yeah, I think that's what they're getting. I think you know, they, it could also be that Lancel knew about her and Jamie, but I think uh, at the very least, there's this. Yeah. At the, yeah, at least it's it's that she slept with him, right? So, which I think cousins in this world must happen more frequently than you would. You know, aren't they all related in some to some degree? <laughs> uh, it'd be kind of tough if all the high lords are only marrying each other for alliances. Eventually, they're all cousins. Like pretty close. Well, the Targaryens were really, yeah. The Targaryens were all into that kind of stuff. Well, and the Targaryens definitely, but I mean, just like yeah. if the Starks marry the the Baratheons, you know, after like one or two generations, you know, you're gonna have cousins marrying each other. There's no way to get around that. But anyway, let's just leave that aside. The logic of this series is not always so clear. But anyway, um, because <laughs> because if you look at Europe, that's why it doesn't make sense. Because if you look at Europe. Like every royal family is cousins of another royal family, cousins of another, and they all married each other all the time. Well, maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just uh, infidelity. Because she could was married be, to Robert. Could be. Yeah, you you know, there's so many little technicalities that can get you on when you uh, sleep with your cousin. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway. uh, like perjury, I still can't believe like that. perjury, and they keep bringing it up too. They're like, nope, we're sticking by that perjury <laughs> and uh, being gay. He says buggery. He says buggery specifically, um, but yeah, which is interesting because that actually is was the law I think in England for a long time. Oh, was that the actual word? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting because yeah, that hasn't stuck around. Oh, it has. You mean in, in has it modern day? I haven't. I, I don't think it's, I, maybe go, oh, maybe in a different. They say it all the time, but it's. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that, that those that was connected. Yeah, but it's like not considered very PC there, and you know they've gotten rid of most of those laws. I think. Um, but yeah, that's. I, I did. I had no idea. That's really interesting. But buggery and sodomy are the same thing, to my knowledge. Right, to be right, same, right. Same term. Which doesn't make. I don't think they said the word sodomy. Of course, that wouldn't make sense because that's, that's that's a specific thing. That from is our a specific. World. From, exactly, exactly. Although the common tongue has been translated into English so that we can understand it, I'm sure it doesn't sound like. That. <laughs> anyway, let's not get into that. Um, um, so go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so with the the final Cersei moment, uh, like I said. I think I started to like Cersei in this episode, and her final line is just, oh my god, I, I, it made me so happy, even though I've never liked this character. I love her, uh, this this tiny uh, moment of, because of, she's been concealing her uh, her, her threats all season under, under uh, you know, pretending to be nice to Marjorie right. and stuff like that. And this is finally the Cersei we haven't seen since last season where she's just, uh, you know, the fire and brimstone Cersei, which is like, I will, I will kill you. I'm going to kill you. Right. <laughs> right to this random person's face. Right. And again, the way Lena Headey d- delivers it, she's, she just kills it. She's amazing. She is. And yeah, I like her freak out, you know, as it progresses and gets more intense. Um, and I'm sure she's like, at this point, pretty upset that she's pushed away. Like the only person who really cared about her anymore. She's no one who cares about her anymore. 
her. Yeah, she's, her she sent him to care about her, and the only thing, the only person who cares about her is Jamie, and she sent him away. I don't know how much he could do, uh, but you know that would be at least somebody looking out for her. No one cares that she's in there. Who's gonna look for her? Tommen, maybe. Tom <laughs> can't, can't do anything as they've shown. That's the whole point of the scene. So, yeah. I this is a very. This is the storyline I referenced earlier I'm finally interested in because I've been hating the whole uh, everything with this, mostly because of what they're doing to Loris. I've been hating it up to this point, but now I'm everything involved with the high, with the Sparrows and the High Sparrow this episode I loved. So I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm it was on really board good. with it now. I don't know if this plot was worth sacrificing Loris' character for, but I will yeah. also say this. I will also say this. As much as I've agreed with you that they've sacrificed his character throughout these seasons... Uh, I will also say he's never been a character and I've never really cared about him. So while they did sacrifice him, he was a very convenient plot point to sort of throw in and deal with so they could do this other thing about characters we actually got to know. Like, I couldn't describe Loris at, at, at all. And I know maybe you know him better from the books, but like, to me, he's just a very minor side character. So, Yeah, well, like I said, this has always been a problem with the way that they adapted his his character. Right, it's, right, right. So it, it's not a problem specific to this storyline, but it's not great. <laughs> So next week? Uh, yeah, next week is is Hard Home, which is, uh, like we've talked about, following the tradition of uh, episodes named after a place that's in the episode, hopefully uh, maybe in a more major <laughs> context. Maybe they'll finally turn it around with their titles this season, uh, although this one was fine, and, the, and even last week was fine. But yes, it's, uh, Hard Home. Hard I, Home, all right. we'll, we'll see that. I'm excited <laughs> to see that. I think that. So that's north of the wall, right? Uh, yeah. All right, excellent. Oh, no, it's like by boat or something they have to take. Yeah, but they can sail around the wall. Oh, okay, right. All right, well, we will talk about Hard Home next week. 